Hey guys, welcome to Starving Artist Phoenix. It's Tony Machete. Uh, I got Ron Tobin with me on the podcast this time. A super interesting guy representing Long Island, New York. Uh, you know, he uh, is an old school East Coast comedian, been in the game forever, been in the game longer than uh, like Comedy Central has been a network. So he's definitely got some fun stories behind him. Uh, really interesting path that he's taken to get here to Arizona. He's relatively new in town. Um, so still trying to kind of figure this whole scene out. Um, but man, what an intriguing guy. And bless his heart, he uh, talks to me like I've been in the business for as long as he has. Because I let it slip to him once that I tried my first like comedy open mic. Uh, he's just a, a stand-up guy. Ah, I didn't even realize I did that. All right, here's Ron Tobin. Welcome to Starving Artist Phoenix. It's Tony Machete with Ron Tobin today. <laughs> How you doing, Ron? I'm doing great, Tony. How fantastic. Are you? I'm fantastic. Well, thank you for asking. Uh, well, so you know, just to jump right into it, uh, you know, we, we ran into each other here at work at our day jobs, which is I think is interesting. I'm, I'm meeting so many people here in kind of a corporate atmosphere that are artists. I wonder if there's something to that that uh, so many people who are into a creative type of field to end up in a place like this. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I know for me, in between the runs, sure. I've some, been blessed enough to do some great runs. You know, when you first yeah. start out, comedy pays you nothing. You know, you need that job. <laughs> it pays you everything. <laughs> you know, without that, you have nothing. Yeah. Then you get, finally get blessed after, you know, working for a long time. So, you know, you get mm -hmm. that blessed to the point where, wow, you can actually make the same. Now I'm making more doing the comedy then, yeah. but it's, you know, not as often. So, but in between the runs, we've got a pay the bills, we've got to, you know, do well, little things like have health care insurance. Yeah, that's always so a we work, But it's pretty cool. you got a lot of creative people. It's, well, you know, I think it's the nature of this industry. That's why there are a lot of creative people here. So. True. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's true. That, yeah, that we kind of get around to this is so works. We can feel like you express ourselves a little bit, our personalities, that type of thing. Um, but let's talk about those runs. So uh, you're talking about runs of the one-man show. Uh, my, oh, it's the mother or the father first. My, yeah, 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 my, my mother's, mother's Italian. Italian, my father's Jewish, and I'm in therapy. Yeah. Just the title alone can put you in therapy. <laughs> but uh, so let's let's jump back to the beginning then. How did you get started in that? Um, and you're right about that title. That shows you it's all about the marketing. What a, what a great title. How did you not want to at least see what that's about? Um, but just performing in stand-up over the many years. Uh -huh. um, ran, you, know, you run into a lot of different people, and then you're on the circuit, and you're some great friends. And then when you start headlining, you're never on the same bill anymore. So you don't see each other. Once you become, that's what you want to do, but then you don't see your friends anymore. Right, because you're all peers. You're all exactly. headlining somewhere then. Exactly. So um, it turns out that uh, one of the guys I was working with on the circuit, mm -hmm. who was also headlining, wrote this one-man show. Steve Solomon, God bless you, um, wrote this one, wonderful one-man show. My mother's Italian. My father's Jewish. I'm in therapy. It won awards when it was yeah. playing off-Broadway. Uh, and then he needed, he wanted to do the sequel. So he um, needed somebody to do, you know, take it on the national tour, do that show while he put together the sequel. And I was really blessed enough that uh, 
a fellow, you know, a mutual booking agent of ours, uh, Rick Morgan. Sure. Um, they were in touch and says, who can I get? And then he mentioned, you've got, you've got to check out Ron Tobin. Remember him? <laughs> and he says, oh, my God, you're right. He, he's a nut. He can do all the voices. He plays the piano because there's little, you know, yeah. music in there. There are about 37 different individual voices oh throughout God. the whole show. And it's about his family. Yeah. So I was blessed enough to be able to take that on the road. Um, and... Um, I had to learn it in about three and a half weeks, believe it or not, that script. So I, I, I thank God, it's my own personal thing. And you know, he fills it, I spill it. Before I go on stage, say, you fill it, <laughs> I'll spill it, let's go. Um, so how, how long does the show run then? It's a 90-minute show. Okay. A 90-minute um, runtime. Yeah. Not including intermission. Okay. He told me sometimes, um, and you'll appreciate this, doing improv, some yeah. stand-up as well, I'd rather start the show and finish the show. I'm up, I've got my adrenaline, you know what it is, you got that emotion, the adrenaline, the anxiety's going, I'm on, got the release, let's go. But then the stop at halftime, at intermission, Mm -hmm. and now I have to reboot again to go back out. So he said, sometimes there'll be an intermission, sometimes there won't. Every run I've done, there's been an intermission. intermission. But they want to sell their wares, it makes sense, and I've gotten used to it now over the top. Yeah, it's almost like two shows in one night if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're taking your break and you're you're going across town to another venue and you're bumping right off zero to hundred again. So there you go. Because we do that <laughs> doing stand up, exactly, yeah. exactly. Awesome. Okay, let's go. So there were, I mean, it wasn't so easy as uh, somebody dropping your name and you getting the gig though, right? I mean, there was oh, like fifty applicants or something. They, wasn't he there? was looking at a lot of people. Yeah. And he needed someone. That he, at, at, as I think, as Steve put it, I needed somebody mm-hmm. that sounded. Like there were, if you close your eyes, it sounded like there were different people in the room, as opposed to just somebody, you know, making mm-hmm. different, you know, yeah. sounds. But right. You knew it was yeah. the same voice. Uh-huh. So, very funny you say that. They flew me down, and I sat there at a, an eleven hundred seat venue, <laughs> empty during the day, all alone with only the producer. Yeah. No, no, the author and the director in the audience. Now you know how we feed on feedback. Now here I'm doing this show, and all oh, I see is them yeah. whispering to each other. Right. I, I think yeah. I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they were worried because they did. I'll tell you, they did have somebody on. Um, they wanted to help carry it through in the Broadway. Okay. While it was still running off Broadway, Steve wanted to be the longest running one man show in Broadway history. He's now it's known as one of the long, longest mm-hmm. running one man shows. There was someone doing. Not going to say the name. Wasn't working out. You know the way he wanted it. Got it. Um, so they had to cut that run. He says, "I got to get someone to go on the road and do this right." Well, it's a very um, personal thing. You have to. I mean, no, I'm sure it's no offense to that performer at all. You know, it's something that is. No, of course not. No, no, no. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, okay, so, gotcha. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, so that was, uh, he wanted to keep that going. So it, it's interesting. So here you imagine you're on stage now. I'm dead. They flew me down to Florida. Uh, I was living in New York at the time. And uh, all alone on stage, trying to go back and forth. I haven't gotten past page two. Now, the funny thing is my friend who helped me learn this uh-huh. and my grandson. My grandson, Gianni Greco, the man. <laughs> he was out there because he always say we would go over the script. Uh-huh. And, you know, you have cues. So before sure. I got the, the track of cues, he would say, I'm cue sound, I'm cue sound, because oh, it always said cue the sound. So he would read that. And he learned to do some of the voices. He would do the voice of the smoking sisters. Like, hello, Steve. What do you <coughs> Steve, hello, Steve. It's my grandson. How old's Gianni? He was 12. At the day. Oh, yeah, crushing it. 11, 12. Oh, crushing yeah. it. I call him my yeah. little Spielberg. He wrote scripts and everything. He's amazing. <laughs> Um, but my friend Ross and, and, and Gianni, they both said, because you're going to kill it, dude. You're going mm-hmm. down there. No one can memorize this in three and a half weeks. You mm-hmm. did it. You got the whole thing. Now I'm finally down there. I can't get past page two. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, they're having technical cue challenges. Oh, they're also whispering to each other, saying, you know, things that I love the voices. This, meanwhile, you think you're dying because you're waiting for feedback. The only yeah. two people, you're not going to get the ah, sound. <laughs> 
and they're not even looking at you. They're talking to each other. <laughs> Next thing you know, the door opens on the side. You know, you're in the theater now. You can see that. It's almost like a saloon door open on the side. <laughs> you, see, you see the light come in, you know? And all of a sudden, it's like... <laughs> now the tough partner comes in. He told me that, you know, the author says, she's the tough one. If I don't uh, report to her, she comes walking in. Now the three of them are there. They go, okay, Ronnie, just, just, just you know, take, take five. I haven't gotten past page two. I've been up here almost a couple of hours now. We're doing all this stuff. And now she gets on the stage, walks around, comes around through the wings right at me, pushes off the piano, comes directly at me, and she says, you! And I'm sitting there. i got to tell you, Tony, I'm sitting like, you know what? Yeah. I, no, I think my lip, my lip was starting to quiver. But you know what I mean? Inside I said, at least I tried. <laughs> you can I never went, take this away from right. me. At least I went for it. You know, like Eric Roberts and the Pope. You can't take it away from me, Chalut. You know, it's like, they took my thumb. So I'm sitting there going, okay, at least I tried. I'm going for it. She goes, you. I go, what? She goes, where the heck were you three weeks ago? We could have still, three months ago, we could still be on Broadway. I'm like, oh, my knees went. It was like a roller coaster of emotions, but the coolest thing to hear. I thought, I'm dying. Oh, man. You think you're dying up there. So thank God that all went well. And the, the first run, mm-hmm. believe it or not, ironically, was in Queen Creek, Arizona. <laughs> Who knew I was going to end up living out here? But it was in Queen Creek, Arizona. There's a new PAC out there. Oh, new perf- okay. uh, Performing yeah. arts center. Gorgeous. I think it's Sat 550. Beautiful facility. Yeah. Um, a little, little bigger than Black Box Theater, but, you know, it's yeah. like that good size. Uh-huh. And um, state-of-the-art, you know, equipment. And I didn't know this, but they had made a deal because everyone wanted the original author. And he kept saying, no, you have the original, they want the original mm-hmm. star. He goes, you have the original star of the national tour. Yeah. The author's the star of the Broadway production. You have, or, 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 you have the, the star of the national yeah. tour. But of course, you want the guy who is, you know. Mm-hmm. So they make a deal, they do this, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Two shows I have to do on a Saturday. Matinee and an evening. Yeah. And do the first show. And thank God gets you know through it. And I'll be sure. honest with you. I'll tell you the truth, man. There was one point in the second act, I got lost. And thank God, <laughs> my mother's Italian, my father's Jewish, and I'm in therapy. The character is in therapy. So he's going yeah. back and forth waiting for the therapist. Like, ah, well, you know, I, I, and then boom, I got it. Seemed like an hour. It was only two seconds. Thank you, God, you know. So in between, in between yeah. shows, I'm losing it. The director's come to you, you're doing great. Everyone's, you're wonderful. Oh, uh-huh. my God. I'm like, no. That was it? That was they, my shot? I lost it? They don't know. But no, 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 they liked it. But oh, okay. they, yeah. I knew the audience didn't uh-huh. know, but me. But you, it, yeah, knew. you. Like, know, right. You know Let how scary that is up there? Uh-huh. If it was my own stand-up, so you go into another part of my you're routine. Riff, yeah. <laughs> but this is a play. Yeah, it's scripted to a point. Mm-hmm. But there is some improv. Bottom line is, I was the first and only time, thank God, in that run. Hopefully it's it. <laughs> Jewish stars <laughs> and um, but I didn't know they had made a deal the woman who's running the, the theater came up to me and she says Ron there is such a buzz around the box office you did a fantastic job thank you you know blah 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 so, oh, it was a great show this met me I'm still thinking yeah. I gotta get to my script I gotta find out where it was I never want to be lost <laughs> there again get that segue down and no one knew no one sure. knew it was a half a second you know director didn't even know um, but we know as, as performers mm-hmm. you know Tony so she says, well, I got to tell you, she goes, there's a big buzz. You, you did a heck. I go, so you really liked it? She goes, I didn't get a chance to see it tonight because I, I had did all this promo for the other thing, yeah. but I will be here for tonight. And, you know, and, but, but apparently from what everyone's saying, I'm going to have to pay. And she laughs and walks away. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, the, the author calls after that. He goes, I heard you did great, Ronnie, blah, blah, blah. I told him what she said. She goes, okay, didn't want to tell you at the time because you had enough pressure on you to memorize the darn show and learn all the blocking <laughs> and know what was going on. But we did make a deal that if they were not happy with the first performance, they would not have to pay. Oh. 
I said, and it's not science. He goes, I, I can tell from the silence that your jaw is open. No pressure, Ronnie. You killed. You knocked it out of the park. Go back and do the second show. <laughs> I'm like, no. Oh, gosh. I didn't even tell you. No, he didn't. He goes, I didn't want you to know. And that yeah. would have been their own issue. And that was his test to see if it could be done by someone else on a consistent basis. Yeah. And go on the road. Then after wow. that, a matter of months, I started doing the long runs. I'd never done a 12 12 month run, excuse me, 12 week run, mm -hmm. you know, in Philly, you know, 12 week run in San Diego, you know, all, all over the country. Uh, we did uh, Michigan, um, you know, uh, Ohio, um, gosh, and then, fun, fun, you know, 12 weeks in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And then I did a five week run at the Herberger Theater, right, right here, right here in Phoenix, Arizona, not knowing I was going to end up you mm -hmm. know, living in the area right. uh, and doing the show. And then they kept saying, you got to come back, you got to do sequels, you mm -hmm. know, so it's, it's been a blessing. It's been an absolute blessing. Excellent. And the coolest thing is, like I said, it is a scripted show. Yeah. However, he, he loves my improv, thank God, and he says, I give you a green light. So I, you want to do this normally, stand up, there's no fourth wall. Right. Legit theater, there are four walls. You don't see the audience. Here, we get to break down the fourth mm -hmm. wall. And the way I look at it is I'm waiting for this therapist to show up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're waiting in the doctor's office, you, you, you talk to other patients sometimes. Yeah. So I'm just treating the audience as someone else waiting for this doctor. <laughs> so if things happen, blah, 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 and go off, you're able to, to react to it. Sure. And, and it changes the show a bit, but yet you still have to keep it scripted. So that's what's really fun. That's, that's excellent. Now, I mean, uh, do you feel like you were well prepared for that just by, you know, adding crowd work as a comedian? Or is it a similar type of feel? Or? You know, it's amazing because it really is the culmination of yeah. legit theater. So I love, I've done a lot of off-Broadway off yeah. you know, when I was younger. I did a lot of dramatic theater as well. I love stand-up. That's, you know. Uh -huh. So this is the, the perfect combination. Uh, and, and who knew that, you know, you're right. Complete yeah. preparation of all the improv you have to put up with going on stage. Uh -huh. All the other things that happen. And then a lot of voice characterizations, which ironically, I had to have friends push me to do because I didn't realize how people loved them. And those are one of the things that just came naturally. And you know how sometimes you feel, well, I can do this naturally, so it can't be anyone, anything that anyone cares about, <laughs> you know? So that became a big thing. Yeah. So all those things, com combination, the, the, the voices, imp impersonations. Um, thank God I could play you know, piano, too. He has, yeah. yeah, but yeah. I'm sure they could fake that, you know, if you, if you didn't. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it really did become a, a combination. Perfect stand-up and, and the acting totally prepared me for that. So I'm glad you brought that up because I, I want to kind of break down all those little segments too. Now that we've landed at the Herberger, I want to go back in time a little bit. So what came first? Was it acting, comedy, music? The chicken. The egg. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't study for this quiz. <laughs> there um, will be a written portion as well. For those of home. Let's see. I would think acting started first. When I was younger, uh, growing up on Long Island, there was a PAF Playhouse, Performing Arts Foundation Playhouse, and I did study there. I loved acting. Um, always got into that. Um, but maybe maybe a precursor to that, when I was younger, Tone, uh, bright red hair, man. Oh, yeah? Red hair, freckles, Ronald, my name's Ron, Ronald McDonald, Joe's flying. I learned quickly, if you can make them laugh, they, you see, you don't try to hit you as often. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, I remember my mom said, use your mouth, not your fist. I come home one day, okay, I use my mouth to block his fist. Any other suggestions? And then you realize, once you, yeah, you know, I mean, you're a funny guy. You, 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 if you make someone laugh unintentionally, you realize, oh, okay. You know. There's some power to it. So there was that before, but then I started studying a little formally with, with uh, you know, acting, straight acting. Okay. And then I went to law school. I, well, Hold on. Mm -hmm. I went to high school, did a lot of stuff in high school, some acting and drama, follies, and, you know, fooling around. Oh, cool. yeah. I even did the first, in a senior follies as a sophomore, I did a George Carlin monologue by Ron Tobin. <laughs> so it was all George. 
It was just me doing George. It was a little weird. It was baseball, football, man. It was pretty cool. You know that, right? Talks about baseball and football. Oh, that's good, We're yeah. Europe Junior, man. What's, what's football? It's like Europe Junior. What does Europe do? They, you, know, they, you know, it's 11 guys that line up another 11 guys, beat the shit out of them, and take their land. It's kind of like what we did to the Indians. First down in Pennsylvania, Midwest to go. You know, so is George. Oh, yeah. So I was able to get that across. The cerebral George, not the, you know, cursing seven dirty words, George. No, it's the easy part, yeah. Then the next year, as a junior, I did half Bob Newhart, half of my own original. Interesting. And then senior, I did an original. And then actually got booked by somebody to play at a local temple (laughs) at some installation (laughs) dinner or something for the new president and stuff come in. And I got paid $5. To oh do my, my own original stand-up. So was it just like, a, oh, the Topin boy tells jokes? Yeah. You should come up with that type of thing. Like... <laughs> so there's a guy who was a, he was a senior when I was a junior, and uh-huh. he was in charge of, of doing putting this thing together at the temple. He says, man, if you can come over and do that, it's clean, you're funny, sure. you know, they'd love it. So yeah, exactly, pretty much. I guess, hey, listen, the little toddler, he could be funny. <laughs> Sweetheart, could you do me a favor? Could you tell some jokes at the dinner, though? <laughs> you're so funny. No one sees it like yeah, I do. Exactly. But... <laughs> Okay, so, so wow, so you're starting to get paid gigs right out of high school. I mean, it's starting well, that was to, it. Yeah, that yeah was well, it. you know, it's a it's a paid gig. Never take that away. But and I think it's interesting that you talked about how you did Carlin uh, monologues, you did Newhart monologues before doing your own original. And I think that's that's a comfort zone that you see in music a lot. You know, cover bands. You know, before you actually write your own original stuff, but you don't see that too much in comedy. And I think that's a that's a good tool to think about for an up and comer. You know, just learn how to tell a joke, learn how to you know get into somebody's style, get comfortable with it, and then explore from there. Yeah, right. Well, first of all, we don't do it in comedy because it's um, what's it called again? Oh yeah, stealing. But but if you say <laughs> if it as a child, you know, if you're a young kid in high school, yeah. this is a George Carlin monologue. You know, sure. Like, but like a poem by Henry Gibson. You know, and those old shows. So if you just do it like that. Um, you're right, but you know what? That's that's good. Bands do cover stuff. I never thought yeah. about that, and I think that's what I more or less was. At first, it was a good mimic. Uh-huh. I could really copy things and watch. That's how I'd watch Steve do it. That's how I got the voices better. I could sure. watch this. I, could, I didn't realize I wasn't doing impersonations of people until someone said, I can't believe you did that. I don't do that. Yes, you do. You just did it. I yeah. have no idea. So then you start working on that and you know, doing a little more that way. Like the first time I did Archie Bunker was in college because I love the way uh-huh. you do Archie Bunker. I go, I don't do Archie Bunker. Because yeah, you, do. you just did. And I said, like, geez, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> what are you talking to me? Because see, <laughs> that's it. So I think, oh, let me try to do it better. Let me hone it. Yeah. Um, I'm battling. Go ahead. No, no. Back I'm to like, you, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's it. so you were watching Steve direct, so you went what, to What a shock. Two comedians and we went over <laughs> on a tangent. What a shock. Sorry. Was it, so this was Steve Solomon. You, you went to college with him as well? And that's no, no, no. Right? We went to uh, separate schools. Okay. Um, was it the old that we graduated? <laughs> Different schools together. No, gotcha. we, he was upstate. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. And I was uh, down at Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's funny, I'm in Vanderbilt, and he goes upstate New York, and he tells me stories of cow tipping, because <laughs> that's what they do up in New York, because <laughs> it's so boring. Um, but yeah, when he wrote the show, uh, blessed enough to do it, I didn't know it, he gave me, um, as a matter of fact, I was booked that night oh. to do a show, and he says, you got to come out, he's got two tickets waiting for you, Rick Morgan, that, that, that booking agent, uh-huh. I said, listen, two tickets, um, oh, waiting okay. for you at, at Will Call, get down there and see, I go, book them, I'm booked, but what do I do, I don't want to be the one, you know, we got an honorable, because you, who, yeah. where are you working? All uh-huh. right, you tell Marty he knew who was booking. You tell Marty why you're going where you're going. Uh-huh. He will understand. He'll cover you, don't you worry. Because uh-huh. okay. it was already advertising uh-huh. and that. So I went down, I saw the show, and a uh, good buddy of mine, uh-huh. um, I was his best man, he was my best man. He's looking at me, he goes, oh my God, dude, he goes, he goes you can do that. And I think, he goes, man, you can do that. You know, you know it's an old joke, yeah. right? How many actors does it take to change a light bulb? A uh-huh. hundred. 
wanted to change the light bulb and 99 to sit in the wings, you know, with their arms folded going, I could have done that. <laughs> I, I, I could have done that better. <laughs> so I'm watching and he's going, can you do that? But, but I'm like the other way. I hope I can do this as well. You know, I'm like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I can do that. He goes, yeah. And he goes, you can do that. Yeah. You can do that voice. Then he starts doing sound effects. He goes, can you do that? And I looked at my friend and go, not yet. <laughs> but that's what Steve would teach me. Still yeah. sound. He's a sound effect king. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he loved my, and he could do voices too. His voice, uh-huh. you know. Oh, sure. So he loved all the voices and his sound effects were amazing. He's the kind of guy that you could go to mm-hmm. um, like a blockbuster and he would sit there and make the alarm sound so much that the person in front of you would just be called <laughs> back 12 times and no one would know what's going on. <laughs> oh, that's a good prank. I didn't think about that. <laughs> so, because he once went there and he goes, watch this. I go, dude, just following you around would be fine. A day in the life of Steve Solomon would be great. <laughs> But, but I apologize, I jumped forward in time a little bit, but uh, um, let's, let's go back to that. So you're, you're starting off as a mimic, you're starting off crafting your impressions, crafting like the, you know, showing that you know other comedian styles before yes, getting yes. comfortable with your own. Um, so, I mean, I noticed like with the bits and stuff that I've seen of you, it's a, a lot of your style is very much influenced by New York, growing up in Long Island, obviously, mm. that type of thing. And I mean, how unique do you feel like the comedy in New York is? Well, first of all, speaking of being unique, wherever I perform, uh-huh. I always try to find, I always try to open up with something identifiable to that area. Sure. Something where you can hit home and get that thing. Wouldn't be funny anywhere else, yeah. but there, in that section, is hilarious. <laughs> um, but New York, yeah, has its own thing, but New York is actually known more. You don't have to ride a subway mm-hmm. to know of them. Yeah, sure. You can still know that they're probably kind of scary, and mm-hmm. I can only imagine. Yeah. You know? Um, so, you know, I'm like, I, I could, you don't have to ride a subway where I can say, you know, I get in the subway and it's so crowded. I mean, I, I think the, the same person who invented the subway is the same person who invented the elevator. You know, the principle <laughs> being, let's get as many human beings as possible into the smallest area possible and not let them speak to each other. <laughs> let's watch. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, you're probably like I am. I get in an elevator, I'll face the other way. I go, you're probably wondering why I called this meeting today. I'll have fun. But in the subway, especially with red hair and freckles, you got to go in there with your, with your tough face. <laughs> yeah. You either have to sit there like looking like you can kill someone at any second, or you sit in the corner and go, hi, 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 and then they'll leave you alone. <laughs> One or the other, look insane or look very scary, or criminally insane, perfect combination. Perfect, there you go. Um, but yeah, it's funny, but you don't have to ride a subway to get that job. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think there was something in, in a kind of a highlight video that I watched years. You were talking about the traffic in New York, and yeah, I mean, you're on board no matter where you're at. You're like, oh, oh yeah. traffic in New York is crazy. Everyone is. And is that funny? I could do some of that traffic yeah. stuff about here. I was, I was just sure. c- coming to work the other day, and I'm like, you guys don't know how to merge. They can't do a zipper thing here. It's like, come on, let's go. It's the it's, it's, it's same thing. And how many people have you seen driving you know, in, in the left lane with their left blinker on? Oh, I mean, but again, it doesn't have to just be New York. You can do it anywhere. Oh, okay. Even here, you have three lanes merging into one. It's the last thing you're going to see. <laughs> oh, go ahead. No, everyone's cut. Even here. <laughs> Cutting off. So, uh, I mean, do you feel like, uh, I mean, is it just like specific like content, or do you feel like the style of comedy is different in, in every place that you go? Um, that's, 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 that's an interesting question, because I think everyone has their own different kind of style of comedy, too. Mm-hmm. My style is more identifiable only because, like, just be simpler or easier. It's just, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more of an observational comedy. Sure. You know, people laugh at, again, George Carlin said it perfectly, it's the things that everybody does, but nobody talks about is funny, man. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, we all do stupid things. And mm-hmm. when I say something, I mean, if you've seen some of my stand-up, sometimes I'll even say during the show, look, I'm no funnier than anyone in the audience. Mm-hmm. Just my job. My job is to write this shit down and report back at night. That's it. <laughs> You're laughing because, oh my God, that just happened. Oh, honey, that's yeah. the word for it. Remember that when that, yeah. I didn't, I'm a genius. I'm watching life. You know, we have a different, yeah. a different take on things sometimes. And I just write it down. 
That's the only difference. I used to walk around with a pad and paper all the time. I used mm-hmm. to walk around with a little recorder all the time, and you know, and just talk into it. And that's and that's how five minutes grew into an hour, grew into two hours, grew into what have you of stand-up. So mine is observational comedy. So, mm-hmm. like you said, some of the stuff driving-wise mm-hmm. from New York can identify across the quick because we're all human beings. We get behind the right. wheel of the car, we put the key in the ignition, we become morons. <laughs> we become imbeciles. How quickly we forget that we're driving something 75 miles an hour that's like two, two tons of metal. Yeah. Exactly. Pounds. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Two tons of metal and, and, and we're looking down texting. You're doing 7580. No, we don't care. We're the only ones on the road. We just, for some reason, I don't know what it is. It becomes National Dumb Day or something. It's become, it's like, it's like, it's like when a man gets married. As soon as he says, I do, it's like, ah, honey, where's my socks? He's stressed himself his whole life. Now all of a sudden he's married. You put the key in, I don't know. Something happens. We have a new routine here, I think. It's good. Yeah, I'm getting this down and taking this as copyright. Um, but that's that's interesting. And now, I mean, something that I'm curious about, too, is that, you know, watching your videos and kind of listening to you talk now, uh, you, you don't have any kind of problem... Uh, saying like kind of R-rated language, I guess, like that type of thing. You, you, don't, you don't have any hesitation kind of leaning into that. But the, the one-man show was mostly clean. It seems like or at least family-oriented. You said you started off doing clean humor that you could take to the temple. Um, is, is there one or the other that you feel like you feel more comfortable with? I'd rather do clean. Yeah. I'd rather work clean. I don't think you need those words. Sometimes you might need it for the character. Mm-hmm. If you've, you know, if your character is going to say those yeah. words, then you will need it. Sometimes I hate to say it, also for alliteration purposes, it's just funnier. Mm-hmm. You know, there are certain words that are just funny. Remember mm-hmm. the Sunshine Boys? Remember the old classic thing? They would sit there and say, "Sight and words are funny." Words with a K is funny. Clock starts with a C. Still a funny word. You know, no words. But there are certain words. I used to do a routine about. Um, you know the Coke Pepsi challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, the Coke Pepsi challenge. Yeah. So, you know, oh, I'll, I'll, it's called the Pepsi challenge. Yeah. Is it a surprise they're going to pick Pepsi? <laughs> I said, come on. So I used to check, they should take it to Brooklyn. Take it where I grew up in Brooklyn. When I didn't grow up, but I lived yeah. in Brooklyn for a few years. I could take it to my old neighborhood in Brooklyn and do the, do the Coke challenge. And I which one they're choosing. <laughs> you know? Oh man, I definitely uh, the pile on the left. Now, interesting. Pile on the left, funnier than pile on the right. I tried it so many different times. Pile on the left killed. Pile on the right had a hesitation. Isn't that stupid? So certain words. <laughs> that's crazy. And that's, I wonder what that is. I mean, I wonder if it's something about the consonants because like clock left. Yeah. It's like might. a stronger sound you know, that you're it, getting it, out. You yeah. can say, oh, that was just funny. But if you go, that's funny. In a certain situation, yeah. you might need that alliteration. <laughs> I would rather not curse. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. I remember working at Pocono shows and, 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 and um, Catskill Resort shows when sure. I first started out as well. You got to be crystal clean. Mm-hmm. But you also have to know your audience. I played a club in Brooklyn, Pips Comedy Club, one of the freaking original comedy clubs, forget about it. You know, I'm talking about Dice Clay Cave, and Seinfeld started, they're all these guys, you forget about yeah. it. And this is a club I walk in, hey, it's great to be here in, you know, in Brooklyn again. And they looked at me like deer staring at the headlights, giving me the dog head tilt. And all of a sudden I realized where I was. I go, oh, excuse me. And I had to go grab my, grab my crotch. I'm like, oh, it's great to be here in fucking Brooklyn. Oh, you hit it. Hey. And there's a street called Knapp Street, K-N-A-P-P. It's Knapp Street. Doesn't yeah. get off to get to the club. I go, yeah. I couldn't believe that guy selling it at Knapp Street. Oh, sorry again. My uh, problem is selling roses. I mean at fucking Knapp Street. Oh, grab your thing. This is what they wanted. See, yeah. You gotta give it to him. That's, that's what Dice has been doing his whole career. Right, <laughs> but you gotta know your crowd. Yeah. Exactly. And his crowd always came for him. So if you had to give him what they want, you know, but I'd rather not curse if you don't have to. But here's a true story. Just started working out. I just remember this talking to you. And I had to work one of the bar shows. Huh. Sometimes the bar shows are rough. And you're starting out and you're gonna MC when you're doing a lot of stuff. And I go on to start the show. Now, my mother 
one was Phi Beta Kappa, English teacher, one of the most intelligent people in the mm-hmm. world, best friend in the world. She was there in the audience, and I'm on stage, and no one's listening. It's a freaking bar. It mm-hmm. is like um, Blues Brothers. When they went, came to the thing, they had they had all the um, barbed wire in front of the, oh, the you know, Western place chicken wire, the right? Yeah. And he goes, I hope you know the words to rawhide. That's what it was. The comedians <laughs> looked at I hope you know the words to rawhide. Here we go. I walked in. It was just like a big biker bar, right. flannel shirts all over and vests. And I'm on stage. Now, here's my mother, sweet little Estelle Tobin, looking at me. And she's mouthing these words. And what she's mouthing is, say, fuck. <laughs> Was not my style. <laughs> my mother. She's looking around. She's saying that it's easy a third person omniscient. She says, "Honey, you got to reach these guys." So she's going, "Say, fuck." You, that, what do you do? You look down. You just see your mother. First of all, it throws you off anyway. Yeah. Right. <laughs> then you see her say, you know, "No, she did not just say that." So, boom. I had. That's how I learned yeah. how to deal with Brooklyn. Thank God I went to this place first mm-hmm. before I went to Pips. So that's what I did there. Boom. It's funny, one of, the, one of the improvisers I talked to early on, he talked about how like his improv troupe used to do bar shows and stuff too, and they come up and he said, but I didn't realize like one of the improviser's best friend, doors. You just have a, if you have a separate section from the rest of the bar, they had to walk through a door to see you. That's, you, oh my God, game changer. You're right, you're right, because <laughs> there's nothing worse than having to have a bar of uh-huh. people sitting there. You're right. Yeah. Doors, what a concept. Yeah, who knew? And I'm curious about the Catskills thing, because that seems like a lot of the rite of passage, especially with kind of the East Coast comedians. Like mm-hmm. at a certain point, you're, you're going to go to the Catskills and play the resorts, or at least you should be shooting for that because it's an experience. So right. how was that experience different from a rusty career? Well, it's, it's not a comedy club. That's a sure thing, you know, and again, <laughs> And it's nice uh-huh. that you got to keep it clean. Yeah. Uh, it's a full show. It's nice. The whole fan for it, everyone on, you know, to stage, you know, with a band before. You know, you had the band bringing you up, the band bringing you off. It's, you know, a nice whole thing. The tux, uh-huh. the whole deal. I got there kind of at the end of the Catskill thing. Uh-huh. That run, they started getting bought out by different owners. And uh, it just wasn't the same from what I heard. But it really was cool, let me tell you, when you see your name on the marquee yeah. after you just passed... Um, you know, Joan Rivers and Norm Crosby and all these other big names, you know, okay, they're at the end of the kid, Buddy Hackett, you know, but yeah. you're just starting there like at the end, but it's nice to know you're going in that, you know, in that that's direction. But it does, to answer another question, you guys, it, that's another preparation, the piece of the puzzle to mm-hmm. do these theater shows, because that's yeah. almost, it's still stand-up, but it's more theater. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have that, sometimes the proscenium stage, Sometimes yeah. you've got the three, four, five hundred around you. A lot less intimate, you got to keep that. Yes, yeah. yes, but you got to keep it intimate. Yeah, so uh, so it does teach you that you know, how, if you can make that connection with the, with the people in the in the front row, but yet staring at the back with the same intimacy, because you got to make the people. In the, the first thing Steve made sure I remember too is I know you've done theater. Remember, you got a full room. People in the back paid money. You got to make them feel just as close as, as as these people in the front. And you know the deal working the three, always yeah. work your three wall, you know three sides uh-huh, and what sure, they're yeah, So the, rest, yeah. the bigger the crowd helped too. But it is a kind of a right to passage, you know, the, the cat schools. You always, you know, that's the old... Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's it's interesting because it gives you a kind of a built-in audience. People are going there, they know what they're getting into, they, they know they're going to go see a comedian who's going to be telling some jokes, yep. you know, some good old-fashioned jokes and stuff. But, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I got to imagine there's some kind of pressure involved with that just with the pedigree that's gone through there and just with the idea that they are all there to see you and they, they're expecting you and who you are, but that's what you got to give them. I don't know. <laughs> and you know, that's funny too. Yeah. Because every show we do, uh-huh. and you know that, because the smallest venue, the biggest yeah. venue, you want to give them the best show. You want to, they, yeah. they paid their money or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but sometimes, mm-hmm. you're right, you get there and people are like, okay, make me laugh. We're human beings. <laughs> you know it, Tony. Sometimes you don't want to. You know, you have to. Sometimes you, you have to go to the gig after you work all day because you're in between runs of the show. So yeah. you, you know, I worked all day. You had a rough day at work. 
I want to make. I don't want to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, sometimes when you get on that stage, thank God, the oh, yeah. adrenaline takes over, and boom, sure. you know, right before. But you, know, you do have those people lined up waiting. But your point, well made and well taken, at least to cut. You know, Catskills, Poconos, they're expecting it. Uh-huh. They paid for the show, and they and they want it. So you know, they're there for that. It's uh-huh. not some people at a bar you got to get to turn around or. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably where comedy clubs came from. I always said, you know, yeah. this is really good if we add a door. <laughs> you know, you're right. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, that's credit to Chris Avila if you're still listening to this, Chris. All right, Chris. Um, Thank but, you, Chris. I'm going to work on the doors with you. I know a guy that does hinges. We'll get silly. We'll get nuts. <laughs> and forget about the door jam. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> now, talking about that, too, talking about having to bring that energy, that A-game 100% every time, uh, but do you feel like that is easier when you're performing straight stand-up uh, than you are when you're having to perform as a character when you're acting? Is there a difference there? Interesting. You know what? I think if anything, I don't. Think, if there is a difference, mm-hmm. I would think that it might be easier to do the character only yeah. because you're you're hidden behind that character in a way, even though it's so many different characters and uh-huh. it's still it's a cross between stand up and legit theater. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, because you know, sometimes you can be sick, you can be this, you can be that, but you know, the character's not sick. Mm-hmm. You, so you got to go on and do the show. I mean, if, you know, you, your back's killing you this and that, but the character doesn't have a bad back. Sometimes you can get lost in that character, but I have done it, you know, with stand-up as well. You still get lost in it once you're on, you know, mm-hmm. on stage. So I don't think there's a difference, but okay, just good. at first glance, if anything, I would think maybe the character, but mm-hmm. we still get lost in our own comedy persona too. So, so you, do you feel like you kind of approach when you get on stage? It's not, it's not you that you'd see at eight o'clock that morning. It's it's Ron Tobin comedian that, that you're on stage. Okay, good, good, good mm-hmm. point. When I first started doing comedy, mm-hmm. that's what I was doing. I was yeah. playing the part. I was Ron Tobin playing the part of the comedian. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to just become myself. Yeah. So I, I am more now just me on that stage. Okay. However, I know once... You know what it is? Mm-hmm. It's adrenaline. That's what it is. How does somebody lift a car to save their mother that's underneath <laughs> the car? I'm like, I don't want to be funny. My back is killing me. You go mm-hmm. on, the adrenaline takes over mm-hmm. and that you need. Like People say, oh, you still get nervous? It's not <laughs> nervousness per se, but it's that anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I remember one show i been doing it for so many years. One mm-hmm. show I didn't have it, and I go, wow, I finally made it. show sucked. I had no energy. <laughs> you know, it still worked. They liked yeah. it, but I knew. Uh-huh. You know, it wasn't the same. So you need that energy. As much as you can't stand it, you're driving, why am I getting, like, butterflies yeah. again? This is how, what? Thank God for it. Yeah. Because that's what, and that, that's what takes over. So it's, it's still, I finally got to the point of being me. I used to play a character. I, used, I wouldn't smile. Well, I shouldn't smile at my own jokes. Comedian wouldn't smile. It takes a while to become you. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Instead of playing the part, just be you. Get up there. And, and just share. Interesting. Okay. Nice. So, <clears throat> you are you are you acting as well? Like just doing normal dramatic acting this whole time as well, or are you focusing on comedy at this point? When I first started, um, and again going back to that question, yeah. Um, the, yes, twenty hours ago, and I probably still haven't answered. <laughs> but which came first, the chicken or the egg kind yeah. of thing? I started doing legit theater when it's more professionally first before stand up. Okay. Okay. Um, I did a couple of, uh, you know, I went on stage at Eastside Comedy Club and stand up. Did, you know, went great. As a matter of fact, Rosie O'Donnell came up to me. Oh yeah. Rosie, oh, she was already getting becoming established. I'm just out of college, and my knees shaking. Five minutes was an eternity. And I got <laughs> off stage, and she said, "She goes, let me tell you something, Ron. You have stage presence. That cannot be taught. That's great. My only advice to you is get out of here." get away from this club because they're going to steal your material before you know what to do with it. And she told me where to go to another club to start honing my craft. Well, I couldn't find that club. I didn't know where it was. She goes, you got to go to Dixon's. got to go to Dixon's. It was called Richard M. Dixon's The White House Inn. (laughs) Guy looked like Nixon. 
played off of that, looked just yeah, like it, called the White House Inn. Yeah. He would just did a little alteration with his hair and his, uh-huh. but well, looked just like great guy. New talent, unfortunately, didn't know business, mm-hmm. but he, but he, you know as well. But he, but he definitely knew talent. Mm-hmm. Great, great guy. Um, Eddie Murphy started that club. A lot huh. of people started that club. Yeah, cool. and he was such a good guy, Dick, that he wanted to be fair to all the young up and comers. But Eddie Murphy is now on SNL, comes by to stop by, and Dick would have like. 15, 6 to 20 sometimes acts in a night. It was a real variety show. And Eddie would show up. What are you going to do? <laughs> you put him on. Yeah. Dick says, well, you'll have to wait. You go on at the end. I've got my other kids. These are, you know, come on. Yeah. And you know, he's right. Who the hell? You just start night your second time ever on stage. You want to yeah. follow Eddie Murphy? Gumby? <laughs> no, you know, but as a, as a club owner, you put Gumby on. Sure. When I was in Dangerfields, I was just waiting, waiting. You, you tug on uh-huh. uh, on the MC, you know, can I go on yet? Can I go on yet? You know, it's for your hope. Just go on one night. Sure. Finally got my shot to go on. He goes, okay, you're going on? I'm like, yeah. All of a sudden he comes up to me five minutes before I'm going on. He says, oh, um, Rodney just walked in from his road show <laughs> with um, Barry Barry, the guy who opened for him. He wants Barry to do some time. So, uh-huh. uh, And he pats me so he goes, welcome to show business. You've been bumped. <laughs> oh, now they bump me. I don't go on for another hour and a half. The guy does an hour and 45 minutes of killer killer yeah. material yeah I'm thinking oh, I'm gonna stretch this to 10 minutes tonight <laughs> you know what I mean you know <laughs> now you do an hour you don't think about it but back then you know yeah. oh yeah every minute so but that's that's what it is and I had to go on I had to follow that guy and that's you learn <laughs> so Dick Dixon should have let Eddie Murphy go on sorry Dick I love you bro but uh, <laughs> that was the one thing you know could you imagine Eddie comes on I'm sorry you have to wait are you kidding me and then Eddie never mentioned him uh, Dixon's The White House Inn was probably the first comedy club on Long Island that started everybody. That's oh, where Eastside came from, and you heard Jackie Martin, Jackie the Joke Man, all these guys came from these areas. Jackie had his own comedy club there. You ever hear of him from the Stern no. Show, Jackie the Joke Man? Uh-uh. Oh, okay. Interesting. But a lot of people came from that area. Um, but yeah. yeah. Wow, okay. Cool. So, I mean, that's interesting to be kind of rubbing shoulders with the, with those guys though and kind of going through the same yeah the same they were already made yeah. it yeah you're coming uh-huh. up behind them you know stand yeah. up and they, you know, they were the pioneers it was nice to hear uh-huh. that from, from Rosie I'll tell you that you know nice okay so you're, you're starting to build up to these clubs too and I mean when are you finding time to do the actual acting the actual runs of shows things like oh, that oh so, yeah. so what I would do is I did the first show I did uh-huh. East Side and I was trying to find the sticks since I couldn't find it so then they were you know went to backstage show business uh, from Manhattan uh-huh. periodicals and I would audition for shows and out my headshots and, and get some off off Broadway plays and start doing that I did Lovers on the Strangers. Uh-huh. I did. Um, did Barefoot in the Park, right? Barefoot in the Park. Yeah, yeah, it was one of my favorite. Oh God, it was Neil killer. Because sure. yeah. I, I graduated from Vanderbilt, right? With uh-huh. honors, I got accepted to Columbia Law School. But in the interim, a, a college roommate found my high school yearbook and said, "Dude, how come you don't do any of the stuff you used to do uh, in uh-huh. high school?" I go, "Because you don't do theater and stuff. I'm going to law school, dude. You, you don't do that for real life." <laughs> Meanwhile, I says they're, they're auditioning for a play. I went and auditioned for the darn play. I uh-huh. loved it. The, what, what a high! Once that you know you get off stage, sure, you know that yeah, feeling, yeah. man. I'm like, this is what I need to do. And thank God, my mother said, "At least get your degree. Finish school first. You want to put law school off? Fine." So that's why it was ironic when the first place they did was Barefoot in the Park. I'm playing the part of a lawyer. It was like, no joke, I'm not really a lawyer, but I play one on TV. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. It's exciting. And it's exciting, I'm sure, the, to be able to start at, you know, on, in New York. Now, I mean, again, I'm digressing a little bit myself since we're talking about it. Like, being able to have all those opportunities, having the actual, like, backstage periodicals and stuff to be looking at about what's around you there. Is it a, kind of a culture shock to be, like, touring and, and finding all these other towns that might have a theater scene but it's you know obviously not comparable oh yeah. uh, when, when you go on the road um mm-hmm. you know it, it's obviously it's not it's not manhattan it's not sure but the, but 
the, 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 the theater is theater. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I don't know what it is. I, I used to play football, uh, baseball a lot. You know, mm-hmm. football's really my, my big sport, and I played a lot. It's like you walk in, you get the, get the locker room smell. You back in, you walk into, yeah. you walk into the theater, and you get that smell. Mm-hmm. It's like that's our that's our gym yeah. now. That's our that's our home. You know, it's <laughs> like your workout area. And all theaters, people, stage crews, are pretty much the same all over the country. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's just a great industry of people that really care are good people. Like you said, mm-hmm. why why have you found so many creative people? Well, yeah. in this particular day job situation, mm-hmm. this is one of the few areas where there are more nice people than not. Like I've been, I've worked on yeah. Wall Street, I've worked in corporate. Usually, you get a handful of good people you can trust. Everyone uh-huh. else, forget them. <laughs> yeah, watch out. Don't, you know, we'll always look over your shoulder. Yeah. Here, it's the opposite because of the nature of this business. You, uh-huh. you have to be a, a talker and, and, and a conversationalist and uh-huh. really kind of care. Have you noticed yeah. that? I mean, yeah, you, yeah. You're so, gonna, well, and they'll, they'll notice if you don't. Like, if you can, don't really care. And the same thing in the theater. Yeah, they definitely will. But the same thing in the theater. It's that kind of industry where I'd be, I, 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 I've been blessed with great stage managers and great sound people. Because without mm-hmm. them, you're all alone down there, especially when nice. you got cues. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they oh, can man. screw with you. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Steve mm-hmm. Solomon once said, I love his improv so much, he told the San Diego stage manager, every now and then, just uh, hang on to the cue. Let it linger a few <laughs> seconds. Let Ronnie sweat. I want to see what he does. He has fun like that. And one time it happened, and I looked at her, I said, what happened? And I looked, I go, was that Steve? She goes, yes, Steve asked me to do that. Because <laughs> you go off, you're like, I gotta, I'm supposed to get a phone call now. Yeah. Okay, I guess, I got, I'm, I guess I'm not going to do something else. <laughs> Oh, gosh. So uh, when did you start training with improv then? Was that uh, something you just kind of did on the side uh, as well? Or? Again, and, and again, I'm so sorry. I never got back to that and I can get to the improv. So when I went did the first stand-up, that's when I started doing the shows and doing the, the acting. Yeah. That's why I stayed mm-hmm. with that and did a lot of lo- longer plays. Ironically, I did that. And then um, when you start doing a show here, a show there, a show there, then you start going, you know, your first road shows, mm-hmm. you'd all meet maybe in the city and you go to Jersey. Yeah. You know, you didn't stay overnight, uh-huh. you went there. And then you start working with the same group of comedians if you felt comfortable enough with them, um, hey, let's do some improv at the end of the show. Let's have some fun. And I did study improv uh, with Marty Friedberg and Ann Mira from Stilla and Mira um, at the Improv in Manhattan. Wow. Yeah, so wow. that was really cool. That, yeah. was, that was a well worth it class, a pain in the neck to get to, but it was really well worth it. That's excellent. Um, so do you, do you feel like... a it's a natural thing for a stand-up comedian to be doing improv as well? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> you know that. You know what? I think it's more natural. Yeah. Let's change it back. Here. Is it easier for an actor to become a stand-up or a stand-up comedian to become an actor? It's easier for a stand-up to become an actor. Yeah. Actors do stand-up. That's a special timing. You can take the stand-up and... Like Kevin James. A lot of people uh-huh. don't know. I, I work with his brother. Yeah. And his brother said, what are you doing? And his brother said, look, it's not that easy. You can be funny at your friends at the school, but it's not that easy. Why don't you go and try? Well, he did. He did pretty well. <laughs> He's a nut. He's a screamer, this and that. You're going to look at Kevin James and say you're going to be an actor? He's great on sitcoms. He's an actor. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, I um, but, but the other way, the actors can't go the other way. Have you noticed that? It's, I mean, that's so improv. Yeah. Most comedians you think should do improv, but a lot of them can't. You know, because they, they, some of them, if you notice, have their script. They do have their persona. You, have, you notice some people have a stand-up character that is uh-huh. different than their normal persona, and they must stay within that character, and that's what they do. So yeah. they can't improv, by definition. It's not their way. Right. They, yeah, they have to have their, their kind of comfort zone that they can work in to, to be successful. That's, that's what I just meant by that. You know, not, yeah. you know. No, no, not at all. No, I, I actually, um, you know, Mark Marin, the comedian guy, the, he, does, he has a podcast as well, and he, he's talked about it before, too, how... Um, 
he he's seen a lot of actors who you know are like headlining comedy movies or something like that you know they're they're top billing and so they're like I'm gonna get out there in the clubs I'm gonna reconnect the people you know really gotta be funny and <laughs> yeah you should have stayed where you were it's, yeah it's, it's a lot easier and that's always blown me away too mm-hmm. with stand up and with theater work mm-hmm. you have to go out there every night and do it man mm-hmm. you don't get paid you gotta do it every single night the movies the this you know mm-hmm. it's TV cut. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, I messed up. You mess up. It's it. you, you, you're going live. There, there was a great movie, um, Peter O'Toole. It was called My Favorite Year. You ever yeah. see it? Yeah, sure. It's a play, too, right? Yeah. And he was, he was a movie star. Uh-huh. And they go, come on, you're an actor. He goes, no, I'm not. He goes, I'm, a, I'm not an actor. I'm a movie star. <laughs> and that's a great line. I'm not an actor. I go, yell, cut. <laughs> I'm too drunk. They put me back, give me more coffee, and I'll come out and cut the scene. You only need 30 seconds. But they go on a live show. It's a different thing. And isn't it funny that you do it that way? You do it once, you get paid forever. Right. We, we got to keep busting our hump on stage every <laughs> night. Where's my residuals? <laughs> oh, but again, you hope it does, does yeah. turn into the sitcom residual, a la your Kevin James, your yeah. Jerry Seinfelds, you know. Yeah, I mean, it used to be that, I mean, that seemed like a, a stepping stone. A lot of comedians would say, like, all right, I'm going to do stand-up until I get this, right. you know, this film gig and stuff. Do you, see, do you feel like that's still the case, or has that kind of gone away? Or? Um, I'm hoping it's still the case. I don't know, but it's funny. When I started working in the city, you were yeah. hoping that people would come out, but you know, agents really stopped going out as much at that time from what I heard. They weren't looking as much. So I, I think that's still the case. I mean, that's still where things are going. You get a lot of Whitney Cummings, another one who had her, her set, and they're writing, and they're a lot of writers, too. Yeah. So um, I, I think it's still going that direction, although stand-up's not as prevalent as it used to be because yeah. it's, cause it's, it's, it's almost ubiquitous. You can mm-hmm. find it anywhere. You used to be like, let's go, we're having fun, we're going out. You'll pay that $20 cover. You'll yeah. pay that 15 or two-drink minimum cover. You're going out. Now what do you do? You can just roll over on cable. Yeah. Put on this show. Listen to your podcast, pal. <laughs> You're killing us with it. No. <laughs> well, it's, it's true. I was thinking about earlier when you were talking about just being an observational comedian. You know, with social media and stuff nowadays, everybody's an observational comedian. They put one tweet out there just like, oh, gosh, you know, pizza again. And then it gets retweeted 500 times like, I had pizza tonight. Oh, yeah. Jesus. And then, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> anybody can do it for their one little moment now. And that's, I, I feel like, cutting away from the people who are trying to put together yeah. 10 minutes of it. That and YouTube, too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Um, but it's, it's, it's a different world, and it is, and that's what it's all about. It is mm-hmm. all about observational comedy when people, hey, I have pizza too, and you get that little bond. Whatever. <laughs> and there's nothing like, I'm sure you've noticed too, you can watch it uh, on DVD, you can yeah. watch it um, on, you know, whatever. It's not the same as being there. No, no, The no, energy yeah. of the live show is just, you can listen to the, the, the show that I do, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the one man show. It's not the same if you're not there. Yeah. It's even better when you're there. Because you're looking, you go, holy crap. I had one woman, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. uh, Philadelphia. The stage manager comes in and tells me, she goes, oh, this is going to be a fun show. I go, why? She goes, ah, she's already walking down. They're upset they have to keep walking. She goes, what aisle is it? D. Keep walking. What? D, as in dedicated. Just get there. And then she sits down and opens the program, and she says, what, are you kidding me? There's one person in this show. I didn't come here for one person. Sal, let's get the hell out of here. This is, and she tells me it's for the show. Yeah. Well, she came up at the end when they were all online waiting and asked for autographs and someone says, you didn't expect to see this woman. And she comes up and she goes, I got to tell you, sweetheart. I, I, I looked, I told my husband, one person, this is garbage. But I got to tell you, there were 20 people on that stage as far as I'm. So if you could be there and you're looking, you're closing your eyes, you say, holy crap. Because then you, and then you open and you go, shit, it's one guy. <laughs> you know, this is pretty wild, you know, it's, 
And they argue with each other too, the characters, sure. which is pretty funny. Okay. But yeah, so you can get those. You know, it, it's just a difference to be there yeah. live. It's great. I mean, can you go to a sitcom live? No, hmm. but you've never experienced live, so you don't know the difference. That's fair. That's fair. And so now, okay, so now let's let's fast forward a little bit. So back to you played the Herberger and stuff here in town. So. I mean, since you've been here in town, have you noticed um, anything in particular about this town's comedy scene as opposed to ones you've seen before? Have you had a chance to look at a lot of comedy yeah. here in town? Now, you know, it's funny, too, because, no, it, as we discussed earlier, that mm. when I first played here, it's under contract. I couldn't play it in the comedy clubs around. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes you can't do a venue somewhere else within a certain mile radius. Mm -hmm. so, oh, why would I see him here when I just saw him there? Two different things. Stand sure. up and this yeah. show are completely different. However, I understood that. And then when I came here, when I finally moved out here... Mm -hmm. What happens? Then I start playing. I, I played San Francisco. I played back in <laughs> Richmond, Virginia. They, they, you know, they sent me all over. So I'm waiting for the next run again. So I really haven't hit the circuits around here. But Stand Up Live wanted me to play there. Uh -huh. uh, I know. That, so I want to play Stand Up. You know, Stand Up Live. You got uh, Stand Up Scottsdale. You got the uh, the Improv at Tempe. And I've heard a lot of great things about them. Now I want to. You know, I contacted them initially, finding out when I couldn't do it. Right. Now I'm waiting for the next green light. When am I going away? So as soon as I find out when that, when is that going to be, I'll know the window. I can book here. Okay. And so. I really can't say if I'd seen anything different yet. Mm -hmm. um, but human beings are human beings. Uh -huh. So there's always going to be that tie. I want to find the initial things around here, obviously, mm -hmm. um, you know, that identify with this area particularly. Yeah. Um, you know, again, it's just interesting enough. Like, again, we talked about, you know, you get accepted to law school and you go into stand-up comedy. I mean, mm -hmm. imagine calling your Jewish parents on Long Island and telling them that. No, I'm not going to be your social mobility to become the lawyer. <laughs> Although, either way, entertainer, lawyer, as a Jew, I'm, I'm not really a pioneer. <laughs> you know? But then I come out here and realize here I am again. You know, like 40 years, 40 years, my, my people traveled in the desert. This schmuck comes back. I'm back in Phoenix now in the middle of the desert again. I'm going to do stand-up. So I'll find the things that identify here but I think for the mm -hmm. most part the circuit's going to be the same from what I've seen from what I've read from okay. what I've noticed so far um, I, mm -hmm. I tried a little just to test the waters yeah. when I, I do a curtain call at the end of the show the producer mm -hmm. really likes when I do a little you know five minutes a little stand up and talk to him. but it's not not my own stuff it's about the show and you know you talk mm -hmm. to the okay. audience and I try to find something in each area like I say and here, when I first played the Herberger, we were trying to find the theater, and the truth was, of looking for the theater, we go to a Third Street, whatever, Lincoln, whatever, you make the left, all of a sudden, boosh, there was this big flash of light. So people thought, I go, you guys have cameras out here. You guys got, and they start laughing. I go, they sent me a picture of me in my car going through a red light with a ticket for $100. I sent them a picture of a $100 bill. I figured, hey, we two could play this. Boom, they laughed at that. I said, okay, so we can still find something identifiable. Nice. I like it. And you've done some, uh, you've done some like commercial work and stuff too, right? So how has that been different than kind of the the more creative ad things that you've been able to do? You know what? That's the first thing I did. The yeah. First thing I did was television commercials. All the way back. Okay. Yep. Back in back in 1984, that's how I got into Screen Actors Guild. You couldn't just buy your way in. You had to. It was a catch-22. You had to get into SAG, Screen Actors Guild. You had to either have a principal role mm -hmm. in a SAG commercial or a television performance, and to get the audition for that principal role, you had to be in SAG. SAG. You know, how do you get the job without the experience? Can't hire you, you don't have experience. Hold on a second, dude. <laughs> so it was one of those, I had an agent who put, got, found me a manager, the manager believed me enough, and, and um, Barbara Jarrett, she was great, and, and you know, got me out on that audition, and that's how it started. So that was the very first thing I did, and that led to the, um, the plays around the area after doing the one stand-up, but waiting, trying to find that club, so months went by, started doing this, then I found the other club, and then I started doing more stand-up. So, yeah, it's weird how it all happened. But the commercials, they had about seven or eight principal roles in commercials first. Interesting. Now, I mean, is that, 
uh, I mean, obviously beyond just like the differences between being on stage and being on camera, which are the, those are definitely obvious and those yeah. are abound- abundant, but I, being in something that's, that's so specific to just one purpose, like sell the product. This is, you know, this is about the product. You're there to, to punch, pump this up. I mean, how, how does that feel differently as an actor as opposed to being able to kind of be creative, be explosive, you know? Well, there you got to become the character. Yeah. You just want to have your person, but whatever that character is, because that character believes solely in the product. Because <laughs> you can't sell it unless you do. You'll be amazed at one of these, what some of these products actually look like, what they do to them to make them look beautiful for the camera. Because they, also they're going to melt, too. Yeah. But the cover with shellac just to protect when these lights are hot, you know? But, but the big thing is, you stage and, and the camera is, you do have the freedom, cut, 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 you don't have to worry. But also how long it takes to shoot a 30-second commercial. Oh, yeah. You could spend a couple of days just to shoot 30 seconds, you know, of, 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 of footage, which is incredible what goes into it. But it's amazing how, how it turns out. Yeah, um, that's interesting. And, I mean, when, are you still getting the same kind of, I mean, obviously I haven't done any kind of professional commercials or anything like that. So, I mean, are you getting the same kind of direction and stuff as, uh, you know, as talent and something like that? That you, are they treating you with, like, the creative respect that you you would see doing the commercials yeah. they do they, yeah. they do and I actually believe it, I took a course I took a television commercial course also in the city from huh. one time Bob Collier's uh, course and that really did prepare me for that to, to get you because another thing too is you got to get used to looking at that camera as a friend yeah because here you and I having this great conversation it's natural we're looking at each other we're human beings we're people we're people people you know we can <laughs> you stare at that camera that's got to be the personality and so learning to do that was big and make that comfortable something just simple but to do that enough really helped a lot and I'm convinced I really liked that book in a lot of early commercials and I'm convinced it had a lot to do with Bob Collier and, hmm. and, his, and his preparatory course gotcha well that's a good way to kind of tie into the last couple of questions I, I like to ask you know just uh, one of the first things I like to ask people is um, just who else you know in the arts community you know here in Phoenix if you know anyone specifically or just on anyone that you know um, that you want to give a shout out to so who, who's somebody that you feel like we should be looking at? Well, um, well, of course, before that, I would say Bob Collier and, and Richard M. Dixon outside of the Phoenix area. Steve Solomon, God bless you. Thank you very much um, for, for, for that show. But here in the Phoenix community, I, I definitely want to give a shout out to the entire Herberger staff. Yeah. The okay. entire Herbergers. They are incredible. They make right. the audience feel at home. They make the performers feel at home. Couldn't be more comfortable. Um, there's so many. If I start n- listing some of them, I would leave them out. So I don't even want to try that. But everybody at the, what a beautiful experience in a great area yeah. uh, to be in. Um, it's great venue. Yeah. yeah, it really is. You get a chance, and they got great food across the street. <laughs> <Yeah. too. laughs> hey. But wait, how much would you pay now? But wait, there's more. They even have Restaurant Row right across. They've got sports bars. You get no. It's really, um, and they've got these beautiful uh, statues out there too. Do you oh, ever yeah. notice outside the Herberger? Absolutely. Yeah. Gorgeous. Um, but yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful venue. I mean, every single person there just, I see, I'm seeing so many faces, I don't even want to start naming. I'm going to get in yeah. trouble because I know I'll leave some out. No worries. All right. And uh, I mean, beyond that, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you got coming up? Um, actually, yeah. Thanks. It's right. Um, believe it or not, somebody we met here, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, uh, Kim Sherrick. Yeah. Uh, she was on the original uh, hockey team. Everyone knows about the Miracle on Ice. Sure. Okay. Not everyone was alive like I was during it. I was in college. <laughs> I know where I was. I watched it live. I didn't wait for the movie with Kurt Russell. 
But uh, I saw the whole thing. And bottom line is, uh, you know, everyone knows that miracle story. Well, there was a women's team before that. And Kim Sherrick, who works here, she was on that team. And they were the first women's team to not just tour nationally and compete nationally, but they won it all. And ironically, they did it the year before in 79, before 80. Uh-huh. They had to beat Russia in the semis. And they beat Finland in the final same way. But they had to beat Finland in Helsinki. Oh, and it's a great story about women hockey. Don't no one thought they could do you know. Well it turns out they're making a movie about this now called uh-huh. The Checkers. If you get a chance, go to thecheckersmovie.com and uh, you would click on investors and then it'll ask you for a username and password. Username mm-hmm. is made, password is history, and you can view and I'm doing the voiceover on that trailer of the movie because they needed somebody to um, do the voice of her coach. Unfortunately, their coach passed away oh, before um, the movie came to fruition. So they're saying, hey, we saw your website, we you do the shows around here, blah, blah, blah. you do all these great impressions, can you do an impression of our coach? I'm like, mm-hmm. well, who is he? You know, I can do Jack Nicholson, we can do, yeah. all, we can do all these, who the heck is your coach? <laughs> so they sent me PM Magazine clippings, this and that, I got, I got the voice of the coach down. The producer sends back, she goes, you nailed his voice. Oh my God, it's great. Mm-hmm. One thing, we realized he really doesn't have that pleasant of a voice. <laughs> And you, I keep the Canadian twang and maybe go back to a little lower version of your voice yeah. and bring it down on the right. So we worked on it a couple of times, boom. You know, so that's, that's going to be coming out soon. It's in the investment stages right now, but I'm praying that it becomes like my big fat great wedding, something like that. You know, five, six million dollars is low budget today. So uh, if they pull it off, it would be, I, I, it's a, I read the script. Yeah. No lie. I mean, like those commercials, but I really, I, I laughed, I cried, it became yeah. a part of me, sweetheart. It really did. I mean, I'm sitting reading the script. This is a great, this story needs to be told. Great, great story. So again, that's the Checkers movie. And also, plug one other thing. You go to www.rontobin.com. That's me. R-O-N-T-O-B-I-N. Some good stuff there. You get to see some. There's some uh, old uh, YouTube videos and stuff of some of your material. It's pretty good. And you see, uh, when I was on Arizona Midday, when I did the show here, the Herberger, you see NBC from Philly. They have a couple of those, you know, TV, you know, the talk shows as well on there. Little Mm -hmm. clips, radio clips as well. We'll have to get get this. We'll get the podcast on. Absolutely, yeah. I'll send you a link. And uh, last thing I'd like to ask um, is just if you were to run into somebody specifically like in the Phoenix area who's looking to try and follow your career, who's trying to do what, what you did, what advice would you give them? Oh, listen, you're kidding. You want to go, run away! Don't do it! Get a job! What are you, stupid? Who do you think you know? How many people try... Columbia Law School. <laughs> yes, I was accepted to Columbia. What a <laughs> schmuck I was. I should have been there. But really, follow your dream. Follow your heart. The best thing, listen, my mother gave me the best advice. Finish you off. I was in the middle of college. Get, at least get that bachelor's. And that worked. Because as we talked, you need those day jobs in between. Sure. Yeah, every now and then. However, follow your dream. You want to really do something, do it as much as possible. Do it as much as possible. Pay, no pay, anything. Open mic night. Do it as much as possible. The more you do it, the more comfortable you'll become, the more you'll learn. And you may learn, wow, this is my life calling. Or you may learn, oh, I better get another job. <laughs> but you know, I, I guess just, just do it as much as possible. Anything. It, it, summer play, this, whatever you, you know. Follow your dream, get a degree, and do it as much as possible. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ron. I appreciate it. And uh, you enjoy yourself. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate you, man. Thanks, brother. If you enjoyed this episode, show your support by checking us out on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, and Google Play. And if you or someone you know is an artist in the Phoenix area who'd be interested in coming on the podcast, or if you just want to tell us how great we are, write us at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com. Again, that's starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.